Good morning. Thank you for being here. Thank you for coming to worship God, not just see me. Amen. I want to thank everybody that had a part in making yesterday a, a successful day as we sought to penetrate our community by being uh, loving and kind and gracious and giving. It was amazing. I had several people come up to me, uh, our people, to share testimonies with me about what people had said. There were several people yesterday that were just amazed that we were doing everything that we did Harvest Day for free. You know, they charge you $6 at the fair for a funnel cake. We were giving away for nothing yesterday. Huh? <laughs> I know there were several people yesterday that were just amazed and they actually wrote checks to give to us as an expression of their appreciation for what we were trying to do and reaching into the community. So God's good to us, folks. I tell people on Monday night, when we go out and we visit, people we visit may not come, but when you go out and you're faithful to be what God's called you to be, and that is a going witness, the Lord will bless. He will send folks to come be a part of us and uh, to worship with us and to work with us. So thank you so much for what you've done and what you're doing. Isn't it good to be able to worship God together today? Amen. Amen. It is. We've got some good opportunities today. As Ronnie said, we're studying in the book of Matthew now for, uh, I don't know how long it'll take, but when, when God's done, we'll be done. One of the things I've learned is that few things brings joy to a home like that of a newborn baby. And uh, it's good to know that we've got several new babies in the service today. Amen. I hear there's several more on the way. That's good. I love it. The birthing and the bringing of a child into a family is a big challenge. It's a huge responsibility and it's a wonderful joy. The birth of every child, I believe, is a miracle from God. Even the conception of that child is a miracle from God. If you read your Bible, you'll find that there are some very special births talked about and recorded within the words of God's Bible. Uh, pretty amazing and spectacular birth, like the birth of Isaac. I mean, he was, a, he was a young man that his mother had been barren for 100 years. Now, you think about that. Her womb had been barren for 100 years, and she even laughed at the prospect of having a child, but God gave her a child, and uh, it was a blessing when that child was born. And there's Samson mentioned in the Bible. He, he had the strength to be able to tear a lion in two with his bare hands. Said he took a jawbone of a donkey and he defeated a, a thousand Philistines. He pushed down a pagan temple with his own strength. And when you think about it, he wasn't even supposed to be born. He, he, his mother too was barren in her womb. And then there's uh, Samuel. The Bible says that the Lord had shut Hannah's womb and then because of her promise and her faithfulness to pray and trust God, he gave her a son who later became a prophet and an anointer of kings. And then you've got Elizabeth who was unable to have a baby. But then with great purpose, God through the power of the Holy Spirit and through his divine power gave her a child and 
she gave birth to someone we know today as John the Baptist. Jesus said something beautiful about the man. He said, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. There's some amazing births recorded in scripture, but none as amazing as the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Greatest birth ever recorded was that of Jesus. John MacArthur makes an interesting statement about his birth, about Jesus' birth. He said, fantasy and mythology have counterfeited the virgin birth of Jesus Christ with a proliferation of false accounts intended to minimize his utterly unique birth. Well, guess what? So is Hollywood. There's a lot of fantasy that comes out of that place, even mythology and uh, a lot of make-believe. And I don't know if you've seen the program. I've actually not watched this sitcom, but I've seen it advertised, and you may have too. That uh, is a sitcom called uh, Jane the Virgin. Some of you have watched that, and I won't say anything more about that, but uh, it's a kind of a romantic comedy that stars Gina Rodriguez. Been around since about 2014, so it's in its third season. The storyline is about Jane, who is a young Catholic Latino teenager who is a waitress at a hotel in Miami, and her life takes a really big turn, an unexpected turn, when her doctor mistakenly, artificially inseminates her during her yearly checkup. <laughs> Only Hollywood could think of things like that. Jane's mother gets really upset and, and she's concerned because she's afraid that her daughter's gonna try to bring this baby to full term. Uh, her, her mother had become pregnant when she was 16, almost had an abortion, didn't have one. Uh, her, her mother talked her out of it. And then Jane's traditional grandmother, while her mother's wanting her to have an abortion, her grandmother says, no, let the child live, bring it into the world. Well, the biological father is a married man by the name of Rafael Solano, who is a cancer survivor and a former playboy. He is the new owner of the hotel where Jane works and he was her former teenage crush in high school. Petra, who is Raphael's immoral and scheming wife, was the one who was supposed to be artificially inseminated but didn't get that blessing and, and she finds out about what had happened and about the mistake and then she begins to plot her own agenda. And it just goes on and on and on. And I thought when I read that, only Hollywood could come up with something crazy like that. You know, there's no question in my mind that this TV sitcom is intended to minimize the amazing uniqueness of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Hollywood has a way of doing that a lot, doesn't it? While Jane's pregnancy is no doubt scripted as a definite mistake, let me assure you, based on the word of God, that the conception and the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ is no accident and it is no mistake. You see, I believe with all my heart it was the divine and the sovereign will of Almighty God to birth his son the way that he did. God's will was done. When he was born, Jesus was a part of God's plan, his redemptive plan to come and to seek and to save all the lost souls that that have lived on this planet. And folks, that's everybody. 
That's everybody. And what we're going to see as we look at this passage of Scripture, as we look at Matthew's account of the divine conception of Jesus, is that his story is simple and it's very straightforward. Matthew simply gives us his understanding of this historical account. He shares with us a real historical event that is known only to us by God's divine revelation and is only accomplished by God's divine miracle. Last week we began to look at uh, how Matthew clearly established the human lineage of Jesus that connected him with King David. Well, today we're going to move on in Scripture to see how Matthew reveals in a very clear detail the divine lineage of his son Jesus. And, and can I just say the verses we're going to lay out today, their specific purpose is to do just that, to help us understand Jesus' connection with God the Father. Look with me at verse 18, at the divine conception of Jesus in the virgin womb of Mary. Look at what Matthew records. It says, now, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to notice that it took 17 verses to describe the human genealogy of Jesus. 17 verses. But it only takes one to describe his divine genealogy. On the earthly side, I counted 42 generations. There's about 46, 47 people involved in that listing. But on his divine side, just the Holy Spirit is mentioned. Folks, Jesus came down. He descended from God the Father above by a miraculous and never to be repeated act of the Holy Spirit. Don't forget that. But you know what, as I thought about that the other day, I thought, well, you know, I'm a human being. I'm curious. I, I just want to know how it happened. Isn't that the way we are? You know, little boys want to tear things apart and see how they work. Well, I'm a human. I want to know how God did it. How did God do it? Well, when you think about it, certainly not in the normal human way. There was no man involved with Mary that made it happen. And guess what? There was no sexual intimacy between God and Mary either. In fact, it was no accident. We're only told that Mary became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's all we're told. And Mary was indeed a virgin when she became pregnant, and she remained a virgin until after Jesus was born. Dr. John MacArthur writes, Obviously, Jesus' conception by the Holy Spirit is a great mystery. Even had he wanted to do so, how could God have explained to us in terms that we could comprehend how such a blending of the divine and human, how that could have been accomplished? We could no more fathom such a thing than we can fathom God creating the universe from nothing or his being one God in three person or his giving an entirely new spiritual nature to those of us who trust his son. Understanding of such things will just have to wait for heaven. I believe that. I mean, the Apostle Paul knew so much. He wrote 13, maybe 14 books of the New Testament. God spoke directly to him, and there was a lot of things that he learned. But even he says in 1 Corinthians 13 
Now we see things imperfectly as in a poor mirror. But then when we get into heaven, when we see from the other side, we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I now know is partial and incomplete. But then Paul says, I will know everything completely just as God knows me now. All that we have to go on is what God has told us in his word. That's all we have. He has given us truth. That's all we have. And it is up to us to accept it by faith or to reject it. But if you remember what Paul said in Galatians 4.4, this simple and straightforward event was described like this. But when the right time came, God sent his son born of a woman. Nowhere in scripture do you find a, a human father in any part of Jesus' conception. Why? Because Jesus is the son of God. Now there were two pressing issues that Joseph was confronted with when he learned that Mary, his, his, his future bride, was pregnant. The first being, how in the world did it happen? How could she do this? How could she get pregnant? Now, Joseph knew he wasn't the father. That was pretty simple. He knew that. He knew what he had not done. He also knew that if it wasn't his child, it had to be somebody's child. That was a normal human response. So there had to be another man involved from Joseph's perspective. That's what he initially thought. It said Joseph, her fiance, being a just man, decided to break the engagement quietly so as not to disgrace her publicly. Joseph decided to quietly divorce Mary because he obviously loved her and he cared a great deal for her. She was his heart. He could have publicly shamed her. Worst case scenario, he could have even had her stoned to death because of the act of adultery. That's what he thought had happened. But we see, as you look in Scripture, in, in all the Gospels, you see no evidence that he was even angry or bitter at her. In fact, Joseph was a godly man that was deeply in love with Mary. He was deeply in love with God. He was going to do the right thing because that's the thing to do. You do the right thing if you're a godly person. Verse 20, it says, and he considered this, as he considered this, he fell asleep. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to go ahead with your marriage to Mary, for the child within her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. Wow. He's trying to figure this out. The angel tells him what to think and what he should believe. But should he believe the angel? Joseph was just confronted by the testimony of a holy angel sent from God. Folks, that doesn't happen every day, does it? How many of you have ever been spoken to by an angel? Anybody? Be careful. <laughs> I think I've seen a couple of them, but I, I don't think I've ever heard from one. Joseph has to make up his mind based on the testimony of this angel whether to believe the angel or not believe the angel. Well, guess what? So do you. You have to decide what you're going to believe about the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. It's important what you believe. It is an essential belief. I, I, I hold that to be near and dear to my heart. It's one of those things we need to believe. I certainly hope you're not going to be like the critic who wrote these words. He said, 
There's nothing peculiar about the birth of Jesus. He was not God incarnate and no virgin mother bore him. The church in its ancient zeal fathered a myth and became bound to it as a dogma. Oh, bless his heart. You've got to decide whether you're going to believe a critic or the creator of the universe. That's not hard, is it? I believe what God said. I want you to notice something else in verse 21. Matthew makes very clear the purpose of Jesus' virgin birth. But before we launch into that verse, I want you to look with me at John 1, 29. John writes the next day, John, and that's not himself. That's John the Baptist we mentioned earlier. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Look, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the one that I was talking about when I said, Soon a man is coming who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before I did. Don't miss that. He said, I didn't know he was the one. But I have been baptizing with water in order to point him out to Israel. Folks, unlike every other human being who is born, Jesus was not giving, given existence at conception. Think about that. Instead, Jesus was given incarnation. Because, you see, he already existed. If Jesus had, had been given existence and birth, then there would have been no way that he could be God. But, but Jesus is not a created being. He is the creator of beings. I had a lady come to me one time years ago who had lost a baby right after it was born. And in our conversation, she, she made the comment that her baby had been with Jesus in heaven before he was conceived and born. Now, being a pastor, I, I heard that, and I'm trying to figure out, okay, where in the world did she come up with that? And, and nothing that I'd ever read or studied gave any proof to that, and I, 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 I had to be careful here because I wanted to love and minister to her, but I had to be truthful too. And, and I said, ma'am, I, I just disagree with that. And here's why. I disagree because it's not biblical. No human being existed in heaven with God before their birth. Think about that. You and I were created. We were brought into existence in the womb of our mother. But Jesus wasn't. Why? Because he is God. He is eternal. And there's never been a time when Jesus didn't exist. That's not true for us. There was a time when we had our beginning. When we were conceived in the womb. We will never cease to exist now that we are a being because we'll spend somewhere in eternity either with God or without God in heaven or in hell. But folks, Jesus has always been. He exists today and he always will exist. Revelation 22, he said, See, I am coming soon and my reward is with me to repay all according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Unlike every other human being that is born, an earthly mother and an earthly father could not have conceived Jesus. 
or else he would have been the creation of humans and he would not be God. Human beings are unable to reproduce God. We can make false gods. We can dream up gods. We can carve idols. But we can only reproduce after our own kind. Flesh and blood can only bring forth flesh and blood. Matthew makes it very clear that Jesus was not conceived by an earthly father. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now I may be challenging your thinking this morning. I, I'm seeing some of you kind of look at me like, okay, where's the preacher going all this? This is truth, folks. This is the word of God. Look at what he says. He says, as he considered this, as Joseph was thinking about all that was transpiring, he fell asleep and the angel said to him, do not be afraid to go ahead with your marriage to Mary, for the child within her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. Folks, Jesus was in no way the seed of Adam, for in Adam all die. Paul writes, everyone dies because all of us are related to Adam, the first man. We all have inherited a sin nature from him. But he goes on to say, but all who are related to Christ all who have taken on Christ and now belong to him, the other man, we will be given new life. Jesus was definitely the seed of woman. God said he would be. And that truth necessitated the virgin birth. You go all the way back to Genesis 3.15. And what you find there is, is these words. He says, from now on, and God is talking to Satan here, from now on, you, Satan, and the woman will be enemies, and your offspring, your seed and her offspring, her seed will be enemies. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. You can't kill him, Satan, but he's going to defeat you. He's going to crush you. Friends, according to Moses here in the writings in Genesis, Jesus would become the offspring of the woman. This is the first messianic reference and, and promise of a Savior given in Scripture. It's called the Proto-Evangelum. It is the first mention of a Savior coming to save us from our sins. Many scholars believe that this is, and I'm one of them, believes that this is a, a prophecy of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Henry Garpy writes in his book, In the Old Testament, genealogy is reckoned through the man and not the woman. This reference to Christ being the offspring of a woman is in keeping with the fact that he could not have earthly paternity. No way. Jesus had a divine father, not a human father. Unlike every other human being that's ever been born, Jesus came to this earth with a purpose, and that was to save all of us from our sin and the consequences of our sin. Think about it. As a human being, there's no way in the world that we can save ourselves. My, my devotion yesterday, and I shared this with Jack. Uh, we were, had a conversation yesterday. I learned something yesterday. You know, even preachers can learn something. Amen? I, I had a devotion yesterday that taught me, challenged my thinking about forgiving myself. Do you understand that you can't forgive yourself? Think about it. You can't make yourself right with God. Only Jesus can do that. I've always said, you know, we need to receive the forgiveness of, of the Lord and then we need to learn to forgive ourselves. Well, that's, 
That's a waste of time. You're never going to learn to forgive yourself because you can't forgive yourself. Only Jesus can do that. And once you learn that he has forgiven everything and made things right between you and God, you just put it in the past and you move on in the grace of the Lord. Because God's grace is sufficient. Well, go, folks, we can't save ourselves. We, we can't make things right between us and God. We can't even pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We're human beings. We can't do the work of God. It's not our place. We're all sinners, and there's no way that we could meet the righteous demands of a holy God and present ourselves to him as an unblemished sacrifice to take away our own sin. We can't do that. That's why we need Jesus, because he is the Lamb of God that was sent to take away the sins of the world. Folks, Jesus came for the specific and intentional purpose of saving your soul and forgiving your sins. Nobody else can do that. Nobody. Paul writes in Romans 5, 6, when we were utterly helpless, and that's pretty much every day, <laughs> when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time, and what did he do? He died for us sinners. Jesus said, the Son of Man, speaking about himself, came to find lost people and save them. There's lost people all over this world. At one point, we were lost, living like the rest of the world. Romans 4.25 says, Jesus was handed over to die because of our sin, and he was raised from the dead to make us right with God. Thank you, Lord. We needed that. You know, the name, the name Jesus means Yahweh is salvation. That's what the name means. He is the eternal Son of God. He was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of saving us from our sin. He came and he was born to save, and that is exactly what the angel told Joseph. Look at Matthew 1, 21. And she will have a son, and you're to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. You know, when we think about the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, it's not just a New Testament concept. It was mentioned in the Old Testament. There's an Old Testament connection with the virgin birth. Look at verse 22. All of this happened to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, Isaiah writes, the virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son and he will be called Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. Now, I want you to take a moment and notice the natural progression of truth that's given several different ways here in Matthew's gospel about Mary being a virgin and about the virgin birth of Jesus. We looked a couple of weeks, or last week, at the genealogy and the fact that it, it doesn't say anything about Joseph being Jesus' father. It mentions Mary being the mother, but Joseph is not uh, uh, shown as the father of Jesus because no man was his father. Twice in these verses, Matthew says that while Mary was a virgin, in verse 18 it says she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. In verse 20 it says the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So guess what? It wasn't a man, it was God. God was the child of this, or the father of this child, not Joseph. It goes on in Matthew's gospel to use the word virgin to describe Mary. 
we also note that Joseph was, was ready to divorce her uh, privately because he first assumed that Mary had lost her virginity and become pregnant. But then the angel's message debunked that assumption. She was pregnant, but she was still a virgin. Think about that. Joseph also, according to verse 25, did not have any kind of sexual relationship with Mary until after she gave birth. If you go back and you study Isaiah 7:14, you find that Isaiah used the Hebrew word Alma, which is a word that favors the translation virgin. It is the same word used to refer to Rebekah, the future wife of Isaac. Genesis 24, 43 says, Behold, I stand by the well of water, and it shall come to pass that when the virgin comes out to draw water, and, and I say to her, Please give me a little water of thy pitcher to drink. Same word. We also know that Matthew quotes Isaiah using this, this statement just as Isaiah intended it. You, you got to understand there was a contemporary meaning when Isaiah said what he said. It had meaning and purpose for that day. But it is clearly a prophetic prediction that God would come and dwell in flesh among men. That's what he says. Isaiah said the name of this child, of this virgin, would be called Emmanuel. Remember I said a minute ago that names have meanings? Emmanuel means simply God with us. It's uh, his title, it's his description, not necessarily a proper name. So think, in his carnation, think about this. Jesus was, in the most literal sense, God with us. He left heaven and came and dwelt among men. Now, here's a biblical fact, don't miss this. God made the promise that a virgin would conceive a child and give birth to him. So we really have here in scripture a real, live, pregnant virgin. I don't know if that excites you or not, but it does me. Hey, it was necessary. It was the only way we could have a savior. A real live pregnant virgin, not a Jane who was accidentally, artificially inseminated, but Mary the virgin was a real deal. God's ways are not like our ways, are they? God thinks up things that we would never dream about. Mary was the real deal, and so is God's promise. He gave this promise through Isaiah the prophet some 800 years before it ever happened. But folks, when God makes a promise, he keeps it. God doesn't lie. You can trust the Lord. Now I want you to notice also, according to verse 24 and 25, there's some information here about the final stage of marriage, which was the consummation after the virgin birth. It said when, when Joseph woke up from the dream, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded. He brought Mary home to be his wife, but she remained a virgin until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Notice how that starts. It says, when Joseph woke up, he did. He did. He did what he was told to do. We don't have any idea what his reaction was. 
We just know that the very first thing he does here is he obeys. He immediately obeys the Lord. Now, he didn't do like some of us will do when we think we know what God wants us to do. He didn't say, well, you know, I need to go pray about that and get a clear, clear message from the Lord. How much clearer can it be? The angel told him what he needed to do. He didn't question God's authority about God having the authority to tell him what to do. He didn't doubt the truthfulness of the angel. He just woke up and he did what he was told to do. He obeyed the Lord. Folks, that speaks volumes to me about the godly character of this man. Can you imagine how he felt after having received this message from the angel? He had to be totally amazed. He just had an angel speak to him. Divine encounter. And on top of that, he's the one who's responsible now for raising the Son of God. Would you want that task? It's tough enough raising your own kids, let alone God's. He had to have been relieved. He could go ahead with his marriage just as planned. And he could marry her without compromising his values and his morals. He, he could continue to love Mary and honor her by taking her as his wife. He could no doubt be full of gratitude. What an amazing honor to be the earthly parent of the Son of God. Again, MacArthur writes, it's inconceivable that God would entrust his son into a family where the father was not totally committed and faithful to him. That's exactly what God was doing when he trusted Joseph for this task. He knew Joseph was a godly man. He was the kind of man that, that God can use for a special task. We don't know a whole lot about Joseph, by the way. He kind of came and went. We don't know when he died, but somewhere before the crucifixion, Joseph just kind of disappeared off the scene. We assume that he died. We know very little. We know that he took Jesus to the temple to be dedicated. He was in, involved in his life from a spiritual perspective. We know that he took Mary and Jesus down into Egypt to protect Jesus from the murderous hand of Herod. We know that he took his family to observe the Passover when Jesus was about 12 years old. But we don't know a whole lot more about Joseph. He had to have been the spiritual leader of his family. And I'm sure that he was a godly man that led his family to, to love the Lord and, and to please God. And he did that by his example. Don't hear a lot about what he said, but we just see what he did. Above all, Scripture bears out that Joseph went ahead with his marriage. And I'm pretty sure that he did that soon after his encounter with the angel. However, a very important fact here. Joseph respected the will of God. And he kept Mary a virgin until after she birthed Jesus. It said, but she remained a virgin until her son was born. The implication here is quite simple. That uh, after Jesus was born, then and only then, did they become sexually intimate as a couple should be. Her virginity lasted only as long as she was pregnant with Jesus. And after that, they became a normal family. In fact, there are several scripture passages that indicate that, that Joseph and Mary had children together. Matthew 12, 46 says, as Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and brothers were outside wanting to talk with him. 
In Matthew 13, it says, when Jesus had finished telling these stories, he left that part of the country. He returned to Nazareth, his hometown. And when he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was astonished and said, where does he get his wisdom and his miracles? Notice verse 55. He's just a carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, and, and all his sisters live right here among us. What makes him so great? Well, you know his earthly family. You need to know his heavenly father, and you'll understand. Amen? Mary was indeed a virgin. She remained that way until after she gave birth, but then her virginity was not perpetual. She did not stay that way. They had children together. Folks, the very last thing that Matthew tells us here is that Joseph obeyed. He obeyed and he named the baby Jesus. Remember I said names have meaning? Again, the name means Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. God saves. Jesus was God sent to save us from our sins. Now, why do we need to be saved from our sins? You remember what Isaiah 59.2 says? It is your sin that separates you from your God. We start out like this with God because we're clean and pure and innocent. And there's nothing between us and God. But at some point in time, that sin nature in us wakes up. It is tempted by the devil. And we buy into that temptation and we do what we shouldn't do. And at that point, what happens? We become separated from God because we are sinful people. And the more we sin, the further we get away from God. Do you understand that that happens to all of us? There's not a one of us that that has not happened to. It either has or it will. You cannot escape that fact. That's truth. That's scripture. That's the gospel. Folks, Jesus came to fix that problem. He is the great fixer of our greatest problem. He can fix our sin problem. And he does that as we trust him as Lord and Savior of our life. You won't just wake up in heaven one day because God created you. If you wake up in heaven, it'll be because you trusted his son, Jesus Christ. That is the message of the gospel. And that is what we preach every week. That is why we come here every Sunday is to help other people know the truth about Jesus Christ. You can know him personally. And the beautiful thing about it is he is willing and ready and able to save anybody no matter what they've done, no matter where they've been, no matter who they've been with, no matter what their sin or how many sins they have. Jesus is the Savior of the world. I hope you know him personally. When I say know him personally, I'm not talking about knowing him with just your head. There are a lot of people that know about Jesus and they've got a lot of facts in their heads about what he has done. But they've never taken all of that knowledge and used it to produce a heart knowledge of Jesus Christ. You can know of him and not know him. You can be baptized a thousand times and it won't wash one sin off your soul. You can join as many churches as you want. But church membership will not get you entrance into heaven. 
there's only one way that you make it in, and that is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, making him Lord and Savior of your life. So my challenge to you this morning is, do you just have a head knowledge about Jesus? You got a lot of facts about him? You know a lot of details? Or do you have a heart knowledge? When you got up, when you woke up this morning, did you think about Jesus? Did you talk to him? This morning, the first, the moment I saw my wife, and I get up a little bit before she does on Sunday morning, but the, the very first thing that I said to her this morning is, how you doing, are you okay? Why? Because we got a relationship together. But before I talked to my wife this morning, I talked to God. Why? Because we got a relationship. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Or do you just come to church? Do you pray when you get yourself in a bind? Do you try to make deals with God? Jesus doesn't care how religious you are. What he cares about is do you know him personally through a relationship? At the end of the day, that's what matters. Does Jesus live in your heart? I hope he does. If he doesn't, if you'll come see me, we'll take care of that. Let's pray. Father, this morning you're inviting us to trust your son, Jesus Christ, to be our Lord and Savior. Thank you for his amazing birth. Thank you, Lord, that there's never been anybody born like Jesus. Thank you for Mary the Virgin who was obedient and brought forth the Son of God. Thank you, Lord, that you made a way through that virgin birth for us to be able to be forgiven, made right with you so that we can spend an eternity with you in heaven. Thank you, Lord, that what you did that day is still in effect today and you can still save and have miracles performed right in front of our eyes as we, we see people trust you to be the Savior of their life. God, do your work today. I'm sure there are lost people here today that need to know you. No shame that we're lost. That's just who we are. The shame is if we don't trust you to fix that problem. So, Lord, we, we thank you for the opportunity to see the lost saved, and we pray that that's going to happen. We thank you, Lord, for your blessings of grace and mercy and life through Jesus. Be honored, Lord, as we obey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. And let's respond to God as God leads your heart. Please go away a changed person if God's put that in your heart to do today. You come as God leads.